Big Toronto Sports Night. Kind of had like Shohei 2.0 with the Seattle trade. Heights <laughs> of Shohei trauma bubble up when I saw that Jake Fisher tweet. The, the Pacers have pulled back in talks. Oh, been down this road before. So last night, we get a Shams. What do we call? Do we call them Shams bombs? No, it's just Shams. We get a Shams report. He doesn't have individual branding when it comes to his his releases. We get a Shams report that says that Siakam and the Pacers are in advanced discussions. All right, sorry, did I say Siakam? Raptors. The Raptors and Pacers are in advanced discussions over Pascal Siakam. Sent around three first-round picks. Internet goes ablaze. People start chatting. And then we end up with the same that we've always had, which is sitting and waiting on a Pascal Siakam trade and wondering if and when it's going to materialize. But it, it, it's truly getting to the point of awkwardness now. And even, like, the Raptors play the Heat tonight. I'm going, they're going to play him? They, they're going to they're put him out there? They're going to have him play the Miami Heat, a team that has historically played the Raptors pretty tough? Uh, not sure. We'll see. Either way, I'm, I'm going to talk more about this at 10 o'clock today. Just sort of the pros and cons of what I think about the, the Pacers deal in particular because I like it. There's, there's, uh, hold on. Let me reframe that. There's some things I really like about it. There's some things that I'm pretty unsure about and I really, really don't love about it. So we'll do that at 10 o'clock. But first, I got to lead with the Leafs. Yesterday, I was, I was really enjoying the hockey game. I really was. It was fun. The atmosphere was great. It reminded me as someone who has been to games and I've been to a lot of other Canadian hockey arenas. And... It's so fun when the Leafs play on the road in Canada. It's just, it's so much, it's, it's what, it's, yeah, I think it's the closest as this country gets to soccer. Right? Like we get the opposing chance, we get the people that are, half of them, they're doing the let's go Leafs chance, the other let's go Oilers, it's Newmarket's own Connor McDavid, and he cares, he shows up, he's just digging in, Mitch Marner and, Austin Matthews, they show up. They're playing phenomenal. And it's a good, fun, open, back-and-forth affair with... I don't, I don't want to say physicality because if you're my age, you remember when the game was a little bit more physical and it seems to dwindle year over year over year. But I thought that for modern-day hockey, that's if you're the league, that's what you want people to see, right? The feeling of there's like a rivalry tension between... The middle of the country, western middle country Canada, and the big city Toronto. The, the Edmonton Oilers have revenge narratives, right? They've got Zach Hyman. They've got Connor Brown. They're the overlooked team that plays late at night versus the team that gets all the hype. Who's the best team in Canada? That's been a back and forth between these two squads for quite some time, and that's the way that they played. I thought that the Oilers skating that was on display was just another reminder, same as this is the, one of the big issues about where the Leafs are at. The Oilers, the way they skate, and the Avalanche, the way they skate, that's, that's one of the biggest discrepancies that you go, well, that can't change. <laughs> the Leafs aren't going to become a faster team overnight. Where, where are they going to start picking up all the speed? There probably actually isn't even enough discussion about, hey, you know, when it comes to trades, 
maybe pick up a little bit of speed. Anyway, the game ends in the, the worst possible way. The, the way where everything gets spoiled, there's, there's no other talking point. It just goes right back to the thing that we've been doing all week long, which is, hey, the Leafs blew another lead in the third period. They were up 2-0. Their goalie lets in a horrific leaky one, but he's been a stud for them. So how can you complain? He's their third stringer, for God's sakes. It's just he, he was due to have a bad one. And then the game-tying goal is ugly, and then the game-winning goal, of course, for Edmonton, comes in the final minute. The Leafs are right there to get their loser point. So it's a disaster, right? It's a team that absolutely needed a win. It's a team that has now lost four straight in this fashion, three without a point. And I I hate doing this genuinely just because there is a really strong sentiment in this city that it's like Toronto media versus the team or the players versus the media and the fans at times. And there's this adversarial relationship when really there's nothing. It it couldn't be further from the truth for the vast majority of us. Like, I'm in it. You can believe me or like not. But it's way better than when the Leafs do well. People here that are in media especially – absolutely want the Leafs to go deep on a playoff run. There's no question about it. It's I, you know what I care about my downloads, right? You know where I get those Leafs deep playoff runs. So I grew up a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. (laughs) That's, that's like my entire relationship with my dad is built around sports teams. Okay. That's, that's what it was built around. And yet people are like, Oh, you hate the Leafs. They hate the, it's a no, there's an accountability standard that people want to have. And they want to see this team win for God's sakes. They're honoring the 1967 Maple Leafs at all-star weekend. And you go, that's nice, but it's also the biggest punchline in this city and in this country when it comes to this hockey team is that they haven't been able to win since there were more than six hockey teams. So people have grown frustrated and there's this weird disconnect between the players and the, and the fans and the media where the players just think like everyone's against you. Uh, it must be nice up in the ivory towers thinking this way. And we got more of that from Mitch Marner last night. So I'm sorry to play this audio, but I need to hear it. And I need the context because I saw the quote last night and it was horrific. And I didn't want to hear it before I did it live. And I wanted Versteeg on the line so that he could hear it too. We're going to get into a whole bunch of other stuff, but To me, there was a quote from Mitch Marner last night that seemed pretty damn indefensible, and we're going to play it right now. You guys can get back on the right track here after four losses. Because we're a great hockey team, and we got to ignore what everyone else says. We know we're a great hockey team. We show it every night. I mean, this last four games that we've had leads, we've played some awesome hockey, some great hockey. You know, like I just said, stuff goes your way sometimes, stuff doesn't. So for us, we just can't get frustrated at each other. We know we're doing the right things. We're talking a lot, um, communicating well on the ice, off the ice, and... It's going to come, so stay patient with it. Don't let anything outside of us frustrate us or get us, you know, angry. Like, just got to do what we do. Do you feel frustration seeping in? No, but I think, you know, a lot of people on the outside are trying to do that, so that's how it goes. Um, for us, you know, we know we're doing right things. Okay. Uh, to me, this is such loser loser mentality. I'm sorry. This is This is like a weird... We've always had the, hey, it's us against the world thing with sports, right? Like, for God's sakes, Tom Brady, when he won his, his last Super Bowl with the, the Patriots, was like, we're the underdogs. We're the underdogs. We're such underdogs. And you go, what? The Patriots. Tom, Tom Brady. Who's, who's saying you can't win? Everybody thinks you're going to win. Him and Edelman were going around at every. We're underdogs. We're underdogs. I get having a chip on your shoulder and doing the us against the world thing, but it's different here, man. It's different here. For whatever reason, this group of players... And this player in particular have created a boogeyman outside of the dressing room that has grown into 
it's such an outsized figure for these guys. And instead of focusing on the fact that, hey, um, guys, you've blown it to a bunch of teams that you're supposed to be care, uh, compared to, hey, guys, you're the leaders of this team. What are you doing right now? Are you frustrated? You better be damn frustrated. You think if they ask Connor McDavid that question, no joke, that he's going, well, I know the people in the media don't want us. I know the fans are saying that we're not a great hockey team. What, what about you has proven that you're a great hockey team? The fact that you're now 500? The fact that you're, you're in the bottom half of defensive teams in the NHL? Like, like where is the greatness coming from with you guys? What, what is the great thing about your hockey team right now? What, what is it? Because there's not a stat that says it other than the guy that you play with being the best goal scorer arguably on the planet. What, what is it that says you're a great hockey team right now? You know, point to those things and people will say them. People will give you the credit that you deserve if you're really a great hockey team. You don't think people here are dying to give you that credit? You don't think people here have been dying for a winner their entire lives, their entire existence as Toronto Maple Leafs fans and media? You think that we want to be saying, oh, crap, let's, let's crap on these guys, let's dump on these guys after another blown lead? You're not frustrated? You're not frustrated, Mitch. You feel like you're playing some great hockey? You're doing moral victories this many years into it? And I get it. He's, he's trying not to pile on, but this is only making it worse. This is what I hate about this group. Is it they don't hate losing. They don't. They don't hate losing. And there is a lack of accountability with the core. And this is what drives me nuts about all the Keefe talk. Is like, yeah, maybe Keefe should go. All right? Maybe they need a new leader in the room. Maybe they need another voice. Maybe they need someone who's better strategically, better with the lines. I don't care. But these guys, it's always somebody else. It's always something else. It's always someone that's against them. And God, if, if they didn't have all that to overcome, they might just be able to do it. It's tiresome. And it needs to stop. One way or the other. Anyways, Christopher Stieg, two-time Stanley Cup champion. Something that, yeah, has not happened in this city since, again, 1967. And inventor of the Clever app, which I say to you every single time that Chris comes on. But if you're a parent, you got kids in athletics, you're a coach of young athletics, you, you, have, to, you have to just download this app. It's free. Just go check it out. It's, it's a genuinely revolutionary app. Go, go look at it. Anyways, Christopher Stieg, what's up, brother? I'm, I'm fired up this morning. I'm pissed. I hated that quote. I, I figured you were going to be fired up. But all that told me is own your own it. You know, it's wild to think that you're looking outward instead of inward. You should be pissed off. No kidding. You should be pissed off as a team. You should be pissed off as players. You should look at each other. You should look at the coaching staff and you should be pissed off at where you're at. But where you're at is just where the numbers have been taking you. Look at the start of the year, you know, all the lucky wins, the comebacks, all this. This is just basically a leveling off of where you've been playing this entire season. So everyone's like, oh, they're not winning now. Well, they shouldn't have been winning at the start of the season. They just have superstars that can win you games outright. And you need superstars to win games. But, every, you know, I listen to the media. Yeah, that's not the coaching. It's not the, it, it is the coaching. It is the coaching. And it is the players. It's both. But when the coaching is the same year after year after year, this is what you get. The numbers will eventually lead you to where you're going. I, I know everyone talks about the Oilers at the start of the year. 
What did I say when they need a coaching change? They need a coaching change. Yes, the numbers at some point were going to turn for them eventually, but to get to where they're going now, they would not be here if Woodcroft was still their coach. Zero chance. Zero chance. So, again, structurally they need a change. Details they need a change. But the numbers now, these four losses are just accumulating because of where they should have been at the start of the year. Mm. They should have never been in the playoff race, to be honest, with the way they were playing. They just had Willie was playing out of his mind. Mm-hmm. Matthews was scoring big goals. And they're here because of those guys. Now, they, they've relied on them way too much. And other guys on their team don't even know what way is up anymore. But they are literally only in this race today because of those guys and because what they did at the start of the year. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not a coincidence that the William Nylander now has three straight games without a point and the Leafs go three straight games without a point themselves. Well, what would good, what would good teams do if Willie didn't have a point for three games? Your, your other guys pick them up. Mm-hmm. They have zero. So, again, back to Keith as a coach. He's, he's a great coach. He's done good things. But when you can't get past Letting a guy like I was at the game against uh, the Avalanche. Mm-hmm. Domi was the best player on the ice. And I'm not defending. I'm not saying Domi is the end all be all either, but he was the best player on the ice. He finished with 10 minutes, 10 and a half minutes. If you don't like the player, even when he's playing good, you, you damn well better play him to win a game. You, you better get past your pride and, whatever ego it is to play that player to get you a W in a win league when you're in the biggest market in hockey. Mm. He can't get past that. Spezza, I, I keep going back all these years. He just can't get past it. He can't inflate other guys to excel the hockey club. And it's a problem. The details suck. The details are horrendous. I watched the end of that uh, Detroit game. Mm. Yarncroft gets the puck. He goes back in the zone. Uh, uh, Holmberg gets the puck on the wall, doesn't get the puck out. You know, the next guy goes up, can't get the puck out. These are your role guys. They're going back in the zone. They're not winning board battles. Nice doesn't get the puck out, and then Detroit scores. These guys don't have, A, either the know-with-all to do what to do in those situations. This is hockey fundamentals at, at the end of the day. Like, get the puck out, two minutes left. I don't care. Block a shot with your face. Doesn't matter. These guys don't even understand hockey fundamentals at the biggest times of games. Like, what do we need to do at this time of the game? The Detroit game, horrendous to watch. The details. At the end of that Oilers game, Marner has the puck on the boards. He goes back in the zone. He forces Riley to ice it. He puts, he puts an absolute burger on Riley's stick, screws Riley over, and Riley has to shoot it down the ice to ice it, and then they get hemmed in the zone. Like, crap detail. Get the puck out. Mm. Live the fight another day. What have we said? Tavares on the one goal. Everyone's blaming uh, Jones on the goal. I mean, these D have no idea what they're doing off rush coverage. And I've said this about Klingberg. Everyone, ah, Klingberg's speed. Yeah. Look at, he, he doesn't know what he's doing because the coaches don't tell him what he's doing. Look at Brody yesterday. Look at McCabe. These guys are just backing in. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, is my back checker going to take him? Am I? No, I'm going to go. Boom, they swing another pass. Now all of a sudden the slot's open. I don't know where they're going. Mm. Guys don't know where they're going. Yeah, they're not the best blue line, but they don't know where they're going. And especially 
when you know what hits the fan, you better have a structure in place that helps you for those moments. So at the end of games, now that they're panicking, they don't know where they're going because they're second guessing. Everyone's feet are going crazy. Guys don't know if they have to go to a guy off the rush or if they have to back straight in as a D-man. Then all of a sudden, the forwards overcheck. You have two guys on one guy. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, it, it's a complete mess. Like, when, when you're looking at it entirely, if you're going to be a Stanley Cup winning team, you need to trust everyone. They don't trust everyone. Coaches yeah. won't trust everyone. And if you think Guy Boucher's the guy to come in and do it, you are, you are kidding yourself. If yeah. Brad Trelevin thinks that's your guy to come in and do it, He's kidding himself. I, I don't so think it, that it would be. I think it would be outside I, the organization. I, yeah, you just hear it, right? Yeah. You hear that could be like you're kidding yourself. Now, how many more years do these guys have in their prime? Mm-hmm. How many more years? I like, and I, this is a question for you. They can't go out and trade all their assets, the team, and keep Keith and keep Keith. Like, even if you trade assets to bring a guy in, you can't trust he's even going to play the guy. Mm-hmm. To be honest, so yeah, that's that's a big that's a big part of this to me. You know, I was thinking, so I was trying to wait to have you on because you, you were you were making some really salient points about Keith with me over text, right? And I was going, this is good. And what drives me nuts, I think, is when a lot of people and, and I put myself in this conversation. I watch a lot. I feel like I'm pretty educated on the game, but I don't know it the way that you know a guy who's won cups knows the game pretty clearly. And so there's this misnomer, I think, sometimes with sports. And usually I, I kind of push back on it, on the fire the coach thing in all sports except for football. It's the only one where I go, okay, like I feel as though a you know, halfway decent fan can make an assessment on this. But if you look at baseball, right, it's like fire the manager. And you go, well, he's really just reading off a spreadsheet. Hockey, there's only so many systems that you can play, right? And I go, all right, lose the room. If you feel that, then fine. But here, it just it, it's felt a little too quick to pull the trigger on that and not enough blame for other people in, within the organization. But when you're explaining it that way and you're talking about a team that doesn't have their details down, that doesn't have their structure down, that you know has looked at times like the motivation goes up and down, the fact that their general manager, the signings that he made this offseason, don't look to be in harmony with the coach that he backed and helped and gave a contract extension to, I would be thinking that, yeah, if you're going into the deadline and things are going this way, you're right. You absolutely can't give up a big asset for a defenseman that you don't know your coach is going to love, right? You you can't go yeah. out there and say, yeah. we're going to give up our f- future first-round pick, and then all of a sudden it ends up being like Tyler Bertuzzi, who's making $5.5 million and has the same amount of goals as a fringe NHL player, Nick Robertson, who's got one goal in 24 games, right? So I, I totally get that part of it. But my my question to you is off of this though before we wrap this up is those those details those that structure can you put that in place in the middle of the year because it's it's funny I was thinking about how Babcock got fired because the team was being disappointing but also there was the huge story remember what it was no Tyson Berry they weren't getting enough out of Tyson Berry. He was the guy that Dubas went and traded for. It was a big Nazem Kadri trade. Man, they, it got to unlock Tyson Berry. And guess what happened? Sheldon Keefe came in, and he bumps, he bumps Berry up the lineup. He's getting more power play time. Berry starts accumulating more points, and everyone goes, hooray, that's the way it's going. But when the Leafs fail that year, when they don't close the deal that year, people go, well, Keefe didn't have a training camp, and it's hard for him to get guy. It's on the fly, and so all these people are making excuses for him. And so I just wonder if all these problems that you're identifying right now you know, you bring in, let's say, Craig Berube, right? That's the hot name. That's the hot replacement name. Yep. Is he going to be able to 
to correct these details? Is he going to be able to improve these coverages? Is he going to get them to play more structured hockey when we're already more than halfway down the, like, through the season? Well, if you look at it again, what is your best thing to do? You, you don't have a good enough team possibly to give up assets at the moment. These guys are only in their primes for so long. What's the trigger you need to pull? It's obviously the coach. Yep. So if that's the, the trigger you need to pull and you're not willing to give up more assets, you're like, okay, let's just see if the coach can change the culture, can change a little bit of the details of this team going into the playoffs. And then if this team shows what they can do, then we'll start to load them up for next season. That would be my plan in place. Mm. That would be my plan. I, I think a coach can easily come in and change the energy of the depth guys. No doubt. They can change the energy of the depth guys. They can change the details, the, the understanding positionally, line rush, certain things. I'm sure they all know what they're doing, but do they really know? No, they don't after watching that and watching the last few games really closely. So a coach can come in. I, it, they don't want to overbear the team. I've been on coaching changes midseason. You know, Quenville actually came in four or five games into the year, mm. uh, replaced Denny Savard, and then all of a sudden, you know, we ended up going to the Western Conference Finals. Now that's four or five games into the year. We're a lot deeper. But he did change the, uh, the, the structure of us a little bit. Uh, he changed the energy, and he changed the demand and the owning your problems. So he was big on if you are not good that day and the media asks you, tell them you're not good and come back the next day. Just own it, right? These are little things that build culture, that build a winning team. And when, as a team, you understand that you, well, let's even go back as much as a power play. I remember Kane and these guys would be on for two minutes on the power play and Taze, and all of a sudden, game five, Kane and Taze are on for two minutes and Quenville let them have it. Now, I understand you want Matthews maybe on for two minutes or the odd time, but all of a sudden, the power plays went from one minute, one minute, right? And then all of a sudden, we were starting to compete against each other. And then they started to split them up. But just those details, that demand of their star players, what you need of them, the, the structure, and then getting the depth guys involved to feel more important is something a coach can easily do. There's no doubt in my mind. Will it translate to them winning a first round or second round? I don't know. I have no idea. But will it translate, I would hope, over time to letting these depth players feel important, making these players understand the details? I, I for sure, 100% think it would. Case point, Chris Knobloch. I, I believe that's one of them. Everyone can point to Ottawa going the other way. Leafs are a lot better team than Ottawa. They're a complete disaster. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Minnesota, little things, right? The details, the, the wear and tear a certain coach can put on a guy like Dean Everson. They bring in another guy, start to follow a bit better details. I know that's what uh, – those are the two things that I'm pointing to. But they – can for sure come in and do those things okay. that we just talked about. So, yeah, details and coverages, that's the your your main gripe with Sheldon Keefe right now. Well, culture, too. Yeah. Again, owning it. Yeah. Like, talk to your team. You know, if you're at the end of a game and you're on a long streak, don't don't give what you gave. Don't give sound bites to let people pile on you more. Just own it. Say you're not good. You know, man up. That's the players more than the coach, on. though. Because, like, the coach, I will say this about Keefe. He's the one guy media wise it used to be muzzin who was the accountable dude right who was clearly trying to set a culture of accountability in toronto of hey that he was the own it guy 
they would disappoint in the playoffs. Everybody would have horrible. And what does Muzzin have? Yeah, it just, yeah, cup, exactly. But now they, it, it doesn't really feel like they have that guy. They don't have that voice, and their leader certainly haven't been that. But Keith, the other night, you know, he calls, he called out Willie, right? He says he wasn't, he wasn't good enough. They had to put him up the lineup because they had to try to get him going because he wasn't doing anything against Colorado. He, he has had his moments where he's tried to at least say something or he's tried to ha- put ownership on the team. It's the other guys that haven't partaken in, in that aspect of it. Has, has Keefe at times deflected and has Keefe at times, yeah, has he had to walk comments back which make him feel really, uh, you know, like he's in a tough spot? Sure. But uh, to me, that part of it, the culture part of it, is that's, that's where the, the top-end guys have to take accountability. And if they do bring in a new voice, that they have to decide, okay, now, now this is getting real. This is our third coach. We, we, can't, have this, we can't have this repeat itself. My, my thing with Keefe is going back to the Bertuzzi. Like you said, the depth players, right? And I hate that I think about Bertuzzi this way, but hell, he's on the third line last night. He's, he's struggling to find minutes in consistent ice time. He, his play is extremely up and down. His season has been unbelievably disappointing, especially since he's making five and a half sheets. The Domi one you understand a little bit more because he's tough defensively and he's clearly not what Keefe wants as a third line center. But yeah, you probably have to play him more and especially the nights he's going, like you said. But there's no defined roles. Okay, so there's that's no so, it's, so the there's chicken no and defined. egg here is that it's it's more a Keefe problem than it is those players' problems to you. A hundred percent. It like there's no de- like so he's on the third line. They played eleven minutes. It's, that's not third line minutes. That's not a true defined third line. He doesn't trust Domi. Put Domi on the wing, put Bertuzzi on the wing, put Yarncroc on the wing. Who cares? Put Camp in the middle. Camp is your best guy to check as a third liner, but they want to move Domi to the middle because they like how he's playing. Find those guys more minutes as wingers if you don't trust him as a centerman. Put him on the wing. Move him up the lineup. Get a defined line that can check and give them minutes. Give, give Bertuzzi access to five more minutes a night, four more minutes a night, and don't say, oh, he had 16 minutes one night. Well, that's one night. You, you, can't, you can't play 10, 12, 12, 11, 10, 12. 16 and then be expected to have 20, 30 goals. You're out of your mind. There's no chance. And to be, to do what he needs to do to be effective, there's just no chance, but there's no, there's no defined roles. Who's the third line? Like, okay, camp's going to go out there and play nine minutes and take face offs. And then we're going to find Domi some minutes. And Mm -hmm. there's no defined line. That's why those lines share minutes. That's why you're going to see the odd time. One will get, Eight, one will get 12, one will get 12, one will get 10. You know, that's why there, there's no defined roles for these guys at yeah. the bottom. And they don't feel important in that role. You can see how it goes. Like, if you don't feel important in your role, it's not going to go very well. Yeah, I, again, I'm, I think that is a great point. I, I agree with it. I think that it's, again, to me, the number one reason that you would make a coaching change is that you're hoping that guys do feel more defined, but... It also, when we're, we're talking about team culture and we're, try, we're, trying to, we're tying all these things into one another, one of my fears going into the season was, what happens if a guy like Bertuzzi does have a slump or does feel like a whipping boy or a domi, you know, the s- same thing. All these guys on one-year contracts, right? Just the mercenary team. Like, is there a real feeling of togetherness with this group when guys know, like a, a Bertuzzi, he's pissed because he's not getting his numbers and maybe it's going to affect his contract. And, like, I, I just, I've always wondered about that aspect of it is five guys know they're going to be there and the rest of the team is looking around going we you said no defined roles i'd say no defined future 
Well, there's that, but then it comes back into the culture. Good teams with good culture make everyone feel important. Mm. They make every single guy feel like their job is important. Not that it's, you know, again, each and every night you're, am I going to play eight minutes or am I going to play 12? Now, based on your play, you should get inflated minutes if you're going, but that doesn't even seem to be the case. Like you don't, you don't like, we go back to the, the avalanche game. Max is having a great game. He doesn't get inflated minutes. So, it, like, even yeah, your the incentive? Play, the, yeah, it's not incentivizing them to do more. So, and, and then, you know, who's taking the D zone face off? Is Camp your guy to take it? Yeah, he does it sometimes. Yeah, then they'll Tavares, and maybe Camp's been on the ice, but there's no defined um, guy who's going out there to win that face off who feels super important in these moments, in these roles. All the top teams have it, and they define it. That's where you look at like a guy like Craig Berube. I played for Chief. He would come in and straight up tell guys, you know, this is your role. I don't care if you, you ever score a goal. You're going to kill the clock, and you're going to win face-offs. You know, this is why you're important to us. So I'm not saying he needs to be a coach. I, I think he'd be a great addition, and he's a, he's a great guy, and he, he knows how to win. But those type of guys understand what it takes, I guess, to incentivize players, especially guys on one-year deals, you're talking. I'd be pissed right now if I came here with five, you know, you sign five million, you take a one-year deal, you think you're going to play with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, and all of a sudden you're playing 11 minutes a night. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd be pissed, yeah. of course, you know. I would say Bertuzzi does absolutely have to play better, and it's not, you know, there there's hasn't, no doubt. Yeah, there hasn't there's been no long doubt. stretches of him playing great this year. There's been moments, there's been games, there's been small stretches, the Sweden, right after that trip, he was, he was playing well, but... I think that for me, if we're doing the, the, the coaching part of this, it's been, yeah, it, it's, it ends up being too quick. The guys that get cycled on those lines, it, it happens pretty quickly. And if you're him and you're looking at it and you're going, okay, so you're putting Pontus Holmberg up there instead of me and I'm getting 10 minutes and you're, you're giving him those opportunities. Okay, cool. Well, that, exactly. And I actually didn't mind the lines he went against with Detroit, spread Same. it out a little bit, uh, you know, it seemed like Domi or those guys had a little bit more jump to play with a Marner. He got mm-hmm. excited about it. Holmberg got some jump. He's playing with these guys. He is playing great right now. Holmberg yep. is playing good. No question. Gave him some juice. Made them feel important. And then you kind of go, you wheel it right back one day later against Edmonton. Now, I understand getting Marner and Matthews together and all this, but I didn't mind that changeup. But it's one time in how many years that this has happened. Yeah, I think the issue for right now was he did it, and you can again, you can blame him for this, the miscalculation of the timing of it, but he does it right before they're about to go on a road trip. And it's pretty clear that he didn't want to have Domi on the ice against Connor McDavid, right? Like he didn't want him playing those heavy so minutes with Mitch Marner. Yeah, I, hey, listen, I, I think that there's probably other ways that they could have done it, but that was, that was clear. That was the conservatism of last night was he only trusts so many players he wants those players all together and he wants those players riding major minutes because when everybody else steps on the ice, he's, he's living in fear of it. And I will say that last night when we're talking about the way that that game goes, uh, the, the, the game tying goal is one where Stomy and Snize, two guys, like you look at who's blowing those coverages you're talking about. It's like it's those two dudes. Yeah, and you have them out. Yeah. Nice had nine minutes. Well, yeah, you have Nice out and yeah. he was, Nice looked like he, like, he was swimming upstream the yeah. whole game. Uh, you know, a again, uh, brutal stick 
hmm. tough passes, and I, and I love knives. Same. I love them, but as a player, as a young player, you play nine minutes and then you're on the ice with however many minutes left, and you're just praying to God because this coach doesn't trust you that the puck doesn't a either come near you, and if it does, please Lord, don't be on my stick too long. <laughs> like that's probably what Nice is thinking, mm. and then he's back checking hard. The defense uh, don't know if the back checker's taking it. There's double coverage because Domi's now coming back. That's got to be a communication between the D and the forwards. But generally, some teams like the D to back through the dots. Sometimes like they like the D to take. So that's where I'm saying it's it's very unclear. And then you see double coverage, then, and that's what happens. But you have guys who played nine minutes. They're on the ice with however much time left. You know, eight. Well, how much, when was that second goal? I can't even remember anymore. It's the tying goal. Mm-hmm. Third. Um, Third, yeah. Anyways, you have these guys on in these minutes. They haven't had inflated minutes, and all they're doing is pretty much praying to God they don't get scored on. Mm-hmm. And you have them in these roles when they're not confident, or these so-called roles. It's not going to go well. Yeah, they look tight. I don't think Matthews and Marner looked tight yesterday, but a lot of the rest no, of they were great. Are, yeah, the, the Marner, rest... minus Marner going back in his zone with yeah. two minutes left. But those are those are again details and plays you can't make. Yeah, and again, not to keep going back to this, but that was what I thought was frustrating too about the Marner quote was I felt like he's like, we've been playing great hockey and he was just kind of happy with the way he played that game. And he's like, I played well, <laughs> you know, we lost, but I, I did my thing. Uh huh. Yeah. That's the point. Uh, that's part of the problem here. Uh, okay. So it doesn't sound like it would be Berube for you. You said that he could come no, in. I, your... I like Berube. Yeah. I like Berube. There's, <laughs> I mean, Gallant. Mm-hmm. I know Gallant's got a short shelf life and he comes in and he likes to do things his way, which is great. He's a great, he is great with the players. It sounds like, and, and, you know, I think these are the two guys that could give a boost to the team. And also these are two guys that aren't scared to, you know, mm-hmm. make hard decisions. They obviously have, they both, you know, Gallant's been to how many cup finals, uh, Barube's won a Stanley Cup, and Chief mm-hmm. definitely knows how to make hard decisions and tough decisions. So I, those are my two lead guys. If you're looking at it, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if you have any other guys that. No, I like those two names. My my only thing is um, when when you talk about the culture, I I just don't know how much a coach what what a coach can do. So you bring one of these guys in, right? And I think you should probably do it because. You have to at least shake it up. You got to try something different, especially if this continues, right? Sure. If they show up in that Calgary game and these guys really just lock it down, play great, close these games, start to show some change, then I think that, that you're proven that you're playing for this coach and that you're proven that you, you want to keep him around more than just in the offseason. You say he's our yeah, coach. You're just, and we really... All you're doing is resetting the clock. Sure. Okay. Because... So, so that, that, okay. But I, I still believe that there's an opportunity for him to keep it. I don't think that he's, he's, the decision has been made or that it's, it's done. But if you bring one of these guys in, I feel like right away it's going to be a lot of bluster. It's about, hey, I'm coming here and this is the way things are going to get done. It's north, south, hawk, you know, it's north, north, you know, that. This is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be finishing our checks. We're going to be a tougher team to play against. All of a sudden, you know, you might see an AHL call-up happen here. or uh, You know, Bertuzzi gets his role defined and he starts to play better. Great. All that stuff happens. But the thing that I'm afraid of is it feels like the coach they bring in is, you know, all the movies where it's a, 
a cop trying to fight the system, but the system is too corrupt, and so it just ends with the the, the, the cop defeated. He can't he can't beat the system. That's how I feel. Is these it's a different era. I don't think that players are the same they, as they were when even you know it was a short time ago that you were in the league when Quenville's coming in and changing things. I don't think that an authority figure coming in. It's it's like you got to behave for the first little bit. And then eventually all the patterns are going to show up again. The culture is going to set in. The fact is, like, these guys are still going to start blaming media and fans when things go south and that they're a great hockey team and that they play great. You know, they had – what did they say when they lost to Montreal? Well, we got a lot of chances, like, right? What did – I know this one was a Keefe, but what did he say when they lost Tampa? We got respect in the handshake line. Like, okay. Just seems like that's the, that's the culture with the team is as long as the Stars play well and get shots and have some good stats, then, then everything's fine. Mm-hmm. They get These their guys contract. are stars. They're stars. They are. And you have them for so long. And how many, back to the how many times can you pull the trigger on certain things? Mm-hmm. The coach is the best and easiest one to call in these situations to try to change a culture or try to change up a couple looks. This team is, this team yeah. is a very good team. They have a lot of good pieces. They have a lot of good players. They have the best goal scorer, one of the best goal scorers in the history of the game. Yeah. And on this planet, like you have incredible pieces. Marner's one of the best passers and, and his edge work. And you got Willie when he's on. Like saw it on the first have, goal last night. Yeah, you have special, special players. So the changes that need to happen, look at soccer, look at, you know, I know that, you know, talking about Man United, mm. look at uh, all these top clubs, uh, Liverpool and, and football, and like they have to make hard changes because you can't change the players. And the, play, the coaches are the people that need to go faster than the players. And, you're mm-hmm. not, and you have these players only for so much longer. Matthews is 27. You know, you have not saying he can't play. He's going to be great for another five, six years. Sure. But you want him to win a Stanley Cup. Yep. You want him to have his best chance. Uh, same with Marner. Same with Nylander. So the, the easiest trigger to pull to change things is always the coach. It's always the coach, hands down. You, I just don't think at this moment you can trade assets. I don't think so either. And, and that's why the coach to me makes the most sense. That doesn't say Keith's not going to get another job another day, and he will. He's, yeah, absolutely. he's a very good coach. I've never said he's not a good coach. He's going to get a job, great coach. Right now, I think, again, pride a little bit with understanding, but that's something he's going to need to learn if he's going to coach in the league again, is if you don't like the player, you got to play him at some point, mm-hmm. and he's going to get you a dub. Um, but changing the coach is, to me, the easiest piece to do. It's the necessary piece at the moment if you're going to try to get this team into the playoffs and try to get them back on track to where they need to go because the numbers now aren't lying. They're just where they should have been from the start of the year. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Totally agree. I, I, I got nothing. I got nothing against it. I just, it's, you're right. It's probably time for a change. Um, they've, <laughs> I would think that it's sooner than later because. I think it's 50 days till the NHL trade deadline. And if I'm them, that's the, that's the exploratory mission that you've got in front of you is, does that change materially impact your decision-making going into the deadline and trying to reinforce this group during that window with what little assets you have? Again, this, this team doesn't own their second-round pick this year, 
that was reportedly potentially what it could have gotten or what it would have taken to make sure Chris Tanev came here earlier in the season. They didn't have it. You know, there's the, you keep robbing Peter to pay Paul. Eventually it, it, it could hurt you. You know, maybe the Leafs end up a year from now or two years from now with the team that everybody keeps hoping for. And you keep, you look at the cupboards and they're bare and you say, why? It's because you keep investing in some teams that didn't have it. So I, I think that you're right. You can't trade for anything now. I'm definitely not trying to shore up other issues before the coach. I've seen that opinion. That's not the one that I share. Respect it. I get it. I, I would love it if this team had a better you defense. You trust that he's going to play the guys that you bring. Yeah. That's the biggest problem. Well, I think he'd have to play a defenseman because there's just nobody, you know, there's yeah. nobody else. Yeah. Right. Like they're, they're, they're fourth. Center, yeah. I was going to say their fourth most de- important defenseman right now is Simon Benoit, who is like an AHLer with the ducks. <laughs> like, yeah. Like two weeks hey, ago. I'm not, I'm not, not going like Keith has legitimate uh-huh. like pushback on the, the defense he's been given this year and, uh, and certain holes and issues there is, but no doubt you're a coach. You got to figure it out. Yeah, I agree. Um, again, you can go get the clever app. It's free in the app store. Um, make sure that you go check it out. This was a good one today. See, I like that. I came, I was hot. You were hot. Now I feel a little bit better, right? Everybody feels a little yeah. better. Everybody just get, get it out, <laughs> get yeah. it out on the microphone. All the frustrations that have been building up over these last couple of weeks. Oh, actually, hold on. I got one more for you before you go, before you go. Before you go, I have to ask you this. Tavares' production has really slowed down. And there's a lot of conversation of, hey, he's actually still getting to his areas and it's a bad luck or is he actually slowing down? But he's never been, you know, he's never been fleet of foot. He's never the fastest skater on planet Earth. So I just feel like he's a super hard guy to judge. And you've been watching a ton of games recently. Do, do you see a guy who's slowing down or do you see a guy who's more unlucky? Well, the Detroit game... Um, you know, on the power play, every time he got the puck, it, it just, it was poked off his stick five on five. It was poked. Mm-hmm. It just seems like there may be a little bit of a lack of confidence right mm-hmm. now. Uh, that would be me. I, I'm not worried about him as a hockey player. I just think he could be in a, a bit of a funk right now where, you know, things aren't going well. He's fighting it a bit. And you can see that, you know, back to that first power play in Detroit, then the second power play, the puck came to him three or four times. Uh, every every pass he made got tipped, and that's generally the sign of a player who's not fully confident or mm. fully making the plays that they can. And that that doesn't mean he's not a great player. I just think he's in a bit of a he's just in a bit of a lack of confidence uh, with his game right now, and that that'll come back. I don't worry about Tavares at all. All right. Uh, there it is. Uh, Chris Versteeg, two-time Stanley Cup champion, creator of the Clever app, which, again, you can get in every single app store. And you should leave a review when you're there and you get the app and you enjoy it. Uh, thanks, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Yep. Take care. See you, pal. Um, he's right. I think that the people who are in the change the coach camp are right, leaning that way. I've, I've been putting my foot – I've been dragging my heels on this because of – the issues on the blue line because of what they've had to deal with in net because I, I think that there should be more accountability for guys like Bertuzzi and for Domi and others who have gotten big money should be more accountability for tree living who made these signings for Shanahan who enabled them like the blame shouldn't just be centered around Sheldon Keefe. And so that's, I think that's why I, I drag my heels with this stuff is I see the Mitch Marner quote from yesterday and I go, this lack of accountability is not something that was taught to them by Sheldon Keefe. He's not going in there saying, guys, you played so great tonight. You played so great. It's a, it's a real positive step forward. And yeah, so we lost. So, so we lost. 
and everyone else is going to say we're bad and everyone's going to trash us, but you guys should know deep in your hearts that everything you're doing is phenomenal and that things will be totally fine here because we have such a deep track record of looking back on it. I don't think he's the only reason, but I, I, I do think that there's enough cause there that bringing something else, some, somebody else in, it could be refreshing for the team. It's something that shouldn't be overlooked at this point. And it has worked for teams like the O's. Hell, at this point, you're, you're fighting for a playoff spot. So even if it just gives you the, you know, as they, they call it, the dead coach bounce, whatever, you need those points right. You need those points right now. It's awkward timing. The all-star break is right around the corner. It's here. It'd be very strange to have a new head coach and have the players here and going through that kind of a that kind of a process. But I just the the, the arguments for to me are outweighing the arguments against, especially considering that part of the 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 quotient is you've got to make trades. You know, you know like I, I saw. Paul Bizanet yesterday tweeted, you know, go get some mutants. He's, he, he had a, a tweet, go get some mutants. He's like, I should have gotten Zdorov, should have done this, go get some mutants. I went, man, they, they, they don't have cap room. They don't have trade assets. There's, there's, there's no, there's, everybody here knows that they, they, they don't have the ability to do this right now. If they did, if they were chock full of assets and there was clear solutions to one problem, if it wasn't just their depth at forward, their depth at center, their, you know, their, their blue, their entire blue line, basically outside of Morgan Riley, their goaltending situation. It's just you would say sure, but it's not. It's 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 all of those things. So there is no ready-made solution. It probably is have a coach and then see if that helps you define what what issues you you can really invest in. But man, I just it it feels like a band-aid on a bullet wound when it comes to changing the coach is the, is the real issue. And I know that most people that really care about this team and watch this team feel that way too, is, is the new coach really going to be able to change that mentality of, well, everybody, it's everybody against us, but we're actually playing great. We're satisfied in the midst of a four game losing streak because we've been playing really good hockey late. And sometimes she goes and sometimes she doesn't basically is the quote. You're going to change that amongst the the guys that the organization has deemed completely indispensable by, yeah, handing them every single thing that they want. I don't know. That part of it, that part of it's not getting answered with a coaching change. Not in January or February. Anyway, quick break and something that would be, that's going to keep me up at night. Next. There are a few things that bring me joy right now than, or more than when I see Mason Cameron with a clip on something, when it enters my Twitter feed and it's starting to go viral and I, I, I save it. Like it's like, like I'm, what was Charlie's last name in Charlie and Chocolate Factory? I can't remember. Anyway, uh, I'm like him with his little chocolates every year that he gets. He's just storing away one little piece at a time. That's how I feel about when I get those clips. Okay, before, before the thing that's going to keep me up at night, remember, the dynamic duo, bad friends with Andrew Santino and Bobby Lee, head to OLG stage at Fallsview Casino on April 6th, and we're giving away tickets all week long, right? So if you want to enter, all you got to do is tune in episodes of this podcast, the J.D. Bunkus podcast, every single week, listen for the code word, then text that code word to 590-590. Today's code word is... 
comedy. Text comedy to 59590 right now for your chance to win. And if you don't end up winning this thing, uh, we've you can go down to Ticketmaster.ca, but then there is still another opportunity to win tickets tomorrow. So keep listening, keep following, subscribe to the podcast for God's sakes and leave five stars, tell your friends, share it, whatever you do. I appreciate it. Anyways. Um, so <laughs> I guess this is at a media interview yesterday. It's a, it's a, it's a scrum for Todd Bulls, head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Someone who is, by the way, getting a lot of credit the way he deserves. Todd Bowles has been a guy who got dunked on. He's dunked on by Jets fans a lot before his exit. People thought that he was no good here in Tampa. Now, all of a sudden, he's getting praised. The, the blitz packages, the way that they just tore up that Eagles team, the way that Baker has reinvented himself down there. Todd Bowles, renaissance time. Okay, so a reporter asked him a question. I'm, the, the question, I'm just going to leave the question in the, the, the audio. Here, here's uh, my nightmare. Uh, looking forward towards um, Detroit. Um, the weather has been a factor in some of the playoff games, even for the most prepared teams. Uh, today, it's uh, 13 in uh, Detroit, which doesn't compare to some of the temperatures we've seen it to. Any special plans to acclimate the team to not only uh, endure, but perform in those kind of frigid temperatures should you face them in Detroit? You do know we play indoors, right? They got a dome. I don't um, no, nothing planned. We're, we're indoors, and we only have to be outside for 20 seconds getting off the bus, going under the thing, so we'll be okay. It was painful. It's painful. I, I interview people every day. I do as much prep as I can for these interviews so that that doesn't happen to me because that is, that's the nightmare of all nightmares is when it, it, you, you blow one like that. And I feel so sorry for that reporter. And he made the face where he's like, I don't know what to say here without just dunking on you. <laughs> but that, he deserves credit for just keeping it. He could have oh, massacred. What a nightmare. What a nightmare. I'll, I'll, I, I, I know I'm going to... That, that gives me the secondhand embarrassment of watching Curb Your Enthusiasm where you're watching Larry David at the very end of an episode. This, it was, McKee has a great take. You can't binge Curb because it's just too much cringe to take in by the third episode. You're just in pain. And, and that's how I feel about that is if anybody ever wants to get me off my game, just play that clip. Anyways, quick break. Let's come back. The Siakam rumors ramp up and then uh, my friend of the show, Ariel Hawani joins. That's all next. In Toronto. So last night, I'm prepping for my interviews and finishing up the show. Getting ready for a Leafs game. Finishing a late night workout and boom, phone starts to blow up. People start texting me. You see this? You see this? You see this? Right away. And this is Shams Sharania. It's a report from him and Sam Amick. I'm going to read it from the article. Quote, the Raptors and Pacers are actively engaged in trade talks centered around two-time all-star forward Pascal Siakam. That would send him to the Indiana Pacers for a package that includes Bruce Brown Jr., other salaries, and three first-round picks. League sources told The Athletic, the Raptors have been engaged in discussions with several teams on potential Siakam deal, but conversations with the Pacers gained steam in recent days, those sources say. Sources briefed on the talks between the two teams say that there were several back-and-forth proposals, while the two sides have been described to be as, as being far along in the process, according to these sources, 
they have yet to finalize or agree upon a deal. Um, it also, end quote, it also goes on to say about how you know, the Kings were in on it, but they, they don't know about him resigning there. And then that the Warriors and Mavericks were looking at Siakam as well. So I want to go over, because maybe this deal doesn't happen. So maybe this isn't worth too, doing too much time on. We'll see what ends up transpiring because, again, Jake Fisher came out with a report later on in the evening saying that the Pacers didn't really want to part ways with Bruce Brown, that they view him as an integral piece to Tyrese Halliburton's development and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, um, here's what I like about it if it happens. If it happens now, I'm, I, I'm not going to criticize Masai Ujiri for not waiting, not waiting up until the deadline and not forcing teams' hands. I don't think that the Raptors have the leverage in this one, okay? He's been shopping Pascal Siakam since last year's deadline, at least through the offseason and now into the entire year, okay? I, I think that there's two things, two reasons why they should be acting on this now instead of waiting all the way till the deadline. One is... The, the track record. At this point, Masai has tried to go into deadlines and stare teams down with Kyle Lowry. Didn't work out, right? With Fred Van Vliet, didn't work out. With OG Ananobi last year, didn't work out. With Pascal Siakam last year, didn't work out. He, he's not a deadline make steals guys. He's a, give me the best available option. Give me what I think is the best for the Raptors. We just saw it with the, the trade that they made with the New York Knicks. If you make the right offer, if you meet the price, then he will be willing to make the deal. We, we can... We can say whatever we want. And I know I've been critical of Messiah in the past too about the whole, hey, the price ends up getting too high. I do think that he's misread the market, but maybe this is showing that he's learned something from, from those past mistakes and that he's saying, okay, that's the price. If you're going to hit the three first round picks and maybe they like Bruce Brown, maybe he is more than just a salary dump. Maybe they like Obi Toppin who would be coming in this trade. I don't know, but whatever, either way. <laughs> maybe those are actually really valuable things beside, but either way, whatever it is, he's met the price. He's looking at it and saying, this is the best we can do after shopping a guy for an entire calendar year, essentially. And two is it removes the awkwardness of Siakam in the building. Every one of these Raptors players is on their phones. These guys know what the hell's going on. They could say they're oblivious to the media, but no, it's, it's gotta be weighing on them. It's gotta be weird going into the, the locker room right now as new guys are trying to get acclimated and excited and then Siakam's hanging around there going, how come they don't want me? It sucks. You've got the new guys in there. There's a real momentum. I think there is a value in moving on and trying to, to set whatever it is that you're doing moving forward more quickly. Three for... So the other thing I like is that I, I just, yeah, to, to summarize this, I think that I trust Masai again in terms of knowing that this will be the best package available after all of this has, has transpired. The last pro is three first-round picks is a lot, okay? So before I crap on them, I just want to say three first, first uh, a player that's expiring that you have to hand a max contract to is, is a pretty good salvage project for where they were at. The, the cons, though, are... I want to say Masai should have acted earlier, but the offseason, the, the Hawks offer was not overly spectacular. Maybe, I don't know if Cody Bufkin was available in this trade or what he ends up being, but who knows? But it still kind of harkens back to the same thing, which is they, they did read it too late. There's just no way that a year ago that the price for Pascal Siakam was only going to be three first-round picks that are very, very likely to be it. Like I was looking at it yesterday. The pick today for the Pacers, I believe, would be 18th in a week draft year. And that's with Halliburton having been injured, 
now for a stretch. And that's before they were going to get Pascal Siakam, who I think is an all-NBA talent. So you factor in where Halliburton is. He's 23 years old. You'd be getting draft picks, I would assume, this year. You can't trade picks in back-to-back years. So you'd be getting this year's pick, 2025, 2027. That's the Pacers right through the prime of Tyrese Halliburton, who we all agree is if you were buying stock, well, I shouldn't say we all agree, but if I, I think if you ask most people around the NBA who watch the league, hey, who would you like to buy stock in right now in terms of who's going to have regular season success over the next five years? Tyrese Halliburton would go off the board pretty quickly, right? And this is one of the things we've seen with the Pacers, especially considering if they are doing this trade, you're not removing much from the rest of the roster. Bruce Brown is the most impactful guy. He's a small forward that shoots 30% from three this year and who, yeah, he's an undersized guard forward that is a de- and a good energy player, I guess. I like Bruce Brown. I don't love Bruce Brown. And I certainly think that he upped his value getting to play with Nikolai Jokic, the guy who makes everyone around him way better. In fact, the kind of consensus on Bruce Brown was... When he signed in Indiana, hey, he's going to bring some championship pedigree and some maturity and some doggedness and some features that you really like. And so maybe that's good for the Raptors if he does come here. But the consensus was also he has to take that deal because that's crazy money for Bruce Brown getting $22 million a year. And that's why he can't run it back with Detroit and uh, he can't do the, what did Mike Malone say? Brucey e. B is coming back. He's declared of his coming back in his free agency. And of course, Bruce Brown was doing the magic Johnson. He was like, I'm not going to be here <laughs> anyway. I just, my, my only con in this is it, it feels a little difficult that the Raptors are moving off of one of their all time, great players, one of their all time, great success stories. And they're not getting back a single blue chip asset. I think in concert, three first round picks can be viewed as that maybe I like the idea of turning those into actual players down the line or using those player, those picks in packages to get something because you have Scotty Barnes now and you can't be waiting till 2027 to be drafting very likely, which is the most, which has the highest potential of being a, a good pick for the Pacers. I just, where the Pacers are at right now, a team on the rise, a team with a bunch of good young players, it's, it's hard to envision them not, like those picks ever being top 10, right? It's hard to envision the Raptors getting extremely great value out of that, using them as picks. So three firsts, it's all right. You'd love to be getting back a Matherin though. Something that you just, you, that you're a little bit more solid in knowing what it is. Knowing what, what the player is coming back. I, I think it's pretty important for Pascal Siakam. That, that being said, again, given the options and given everything that we keep hearing, I like three first round picks more than I like Jonathan Kaminga. And Andrew Wiggins' salary coming back, certainly. That's, no, thank you. You know, Scal said they could do that. I went, I don't know. That's three more years of Andrew Wiggins, and he's playing this way. And No, thank you. Pass. Hard pass. Hard pass. Thank you. Thank you, but no. Thank you, but no thank you on the Andrew Wiggins contract. So if it happens, good for the Raps. If it doesn't, that's now the standard that we can hold all moves against. Uh, before we take a break, before we have Ariel Hawani. Ahead of the 2024 Rogers NHL All-Star Game this year, we will be giving away family four-packs of tickets 
to the NHL fanfare coming to Toronto on February 1st through the 4th. Just listen for the Daily Code Word and episodes of the J.D. Bunkus podcast. That is this show that is happening right now as you are listening. So if you're listening to this live, you should be sending in the Daily Code Word now. Text the code word to 590-590 to be entered for a chance to win. You can, I think you can do this on podcast too, right? Like you can do this later. You text in. You're listening on the pod right now. You're a five-star subscriber, obviously. You, you fire the code word. You're still getting an entry for the day. So today's code word is Toronto. The code word is Toronto. Our next code word will be available in tomorrow's episode. However, tickets to the fanfare are also available for purchase at NHL.com backslash fanfare while supplies last. All right. Quick break. And let's talk about that Raptors Knicks trade, the Buffalo Bills, and what the UFC means to Canada in 2024. That's next. All right, it's it's Ariel Hawani, the man, my friend, my close personal friend, who again, you you should be interviewing me, not because I'm the subject, but because you're setting up this all all the tech. You're you're helping me scrambling in a dark hour. How's it going, buddy? You're feeling pretty good. Oh my god. Um I'm only willing to do this because I'm feeling so good because yeah, I know I would have never asked you if it was the, if the, of the alternate time. Yeah. Right. Uh, you asked me like 900 (laughs) times and you were probably hoping that the bills lose so that you could ask me and rub it in because you love creating me. I've sent you how many supportive texts this year. It's never supportive. I, I, I text with like five people during bills games. You're lucky enough to be one of them. Yeah. Everyone else is so supportive and nice. You're the one who sends, uh, Oh, when things are going bad or uh, they're, they're bringing out the cart. They're bringing out the card for Bernard. Yeah. I, I see that they're bringing out the card. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks for the update on the card situation. I'm yeah, good. You're, you're welcome. Devastating by the way. That's a devastating. Yeah, it was, loss. it was a devastating loss, but okay. I true, truly, I have been a bills rider all year long. And what have I said that this is the perfect script is that just when you think they're down and out they're they're the, do you remember we're old? Okay. Do you remember readers digest? Of course, yeah. Okay, so the only thing I used to read in Reader's Digest was the near-death experience ones. You remember that? It'd be yeah. like someone was on a chairlift and they were swinging from the chairlift and they were turning blue, but then somebody came and saved them. That's the Buffalo Bills season, baby. That was it when they were 6-6, six and six, when they were down and out, and everybody said, hey, the Bills are over. Who stayed by your side in the darkest of times? Who was mm-hmm. there for you saying they're still going to make it? They're still one of the most dangerous teams in the AFC. Don't count out Josh Allen. It was me. I was there. It's like Don't the... count out Josh Allen. I have text yeah. from you saying he's not, he's not big enough for these moments. He crumbles under true. these, these lights. Oh, That's my God. You have said this. You said this as recently as during the no. Dolphins game when he was having a pretty, you know, frustrating first half. In reality, they should have beaten the Dolphins like 38 to 14. Correct. They outplayed the Dolphins. And look at the Dolphins now. They're at home mm-hmm. or they're in Cancun or something. Um, I always believed in them. I will, I will defend him till I die. He is our guy. That touchdown run was absurd. The flex mm-hmm. was even better. I've watched it 4 million times. I will say I, I wish that they really put the smack down on the Steelers. They were infinitely better than the Steelers. Uh, the Cowboys-Packers game made me nervous because it was 2 versus 7, and it was just so absurd that the Cowboys lost the way in which they lost. But then I reminded myself – we're better than the Cowboys and the Packers are better than the Steelers. And it Still, wasn't going to happen twice. Eh, you know, those things freak me out. But uh, don't hate that we're banged up. But I just love the fact that finally Kansas City has to come to Buffalo. Finally. Yeah. That to me is gigantic. Now, we all remember what happened in the divisional round last year against Cincinnati. We had them at home and they choked. So humble and hungry as 
Coach McDermott likes to say, we're remaining it's, humble and hungry. This is all I've ever said, is that this is the way that it needs to be. Humble is, and hungry? Yes, quiet, move, move yes. slow, move quietly Ugh. with purpose. That's the Buffalo Bills. That's the season. I just like, want it, three more. I, all I want is like the monkey off my back. I just want to know what it feels like. Do you know last Sunday, two Sundays ago, yeah. when they beat the Dolphins, yeah. it's the closest I ever felt to feeling like the Bills had won the Super Bowl, and I'll explain why. Not when they beat Belichick and to get in the no, playoffs? I'll explain why. Yeah. Because for a moment, I tricked my brain. It was a Sunday night. It was late. It was like 10, 30, yeah. 11, usually yeah. around the time the Super Bowl ends. It was in Miami. So the field, the lights, everything kind of looked like the Super Bowl because Super Bowl is often Miami, warm, this and that. They win. It's January. It's cold. So it's Super Bowl time. They put the T-shirt on, the hat on. It kind yeah. of felt like a Super Bowl <laughs> win. Like a, a, a Belichick win is not a – they don't put the T-shirt. Yeah. So for a moment, yeah. I was like – I went to bed and I was like, is this, is this what it feels? Then I woke up to them coming home, landing, and the people are standing outside at four in the morning. I'm like, is this what it would feel like if they won the Super Bowl? For like five minutes, I kind of convinced myself that that was it. But man, I want it. I want it so bad. Well, you know, I was thinking about this because it's not that far for you. If, if they make, would you consider going to this game? KC? Yeah. Unfortunately, I actually have to be in Montreal. Not unfortunately, it's for a, a friend's son's bar mitzvah. Um, okay. But I'll be driving home Sunday in order to make it in time for the game. God, that must be some friend. That that's oh, it's be... like a high school best friend. Yeah, like couldn't okay. miss this one. I'm a little superstitious though. I kind of have good vibes on the couch, um, but I have thought about Ooh. Super Bowl. I've thought about the parade. I mean, I don't know. You're I'm rich. You could afford a Super Bowl. You're so rich. I see, like you know, you've got your sponsors. I see some. I'm always like, nothing. I wonder. Oh, I don't have yeah, any sponsors. You're, what you're sponsors? destitute. Oh, no, just a little known company called BetMGM. You're one uh, of shout out to my and... good friends over at BetMGM. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're like, uh, who do we got on our roster? Uh, we got Gretzky and Helwani uh, and Jamie Foxx. That's who they've... Barry Sanders, it's like, I think. That's, yeah. that's, it's you three, but I'm sure it's a pittance that they, they send your way for those. I'm sure No, it's just listen, the... uh, they're great people. I'm very, very honored yeah, to sure. be affiliated with them. Yeah, um, yeah no, I, I've thought of it, but even, even Super Bowl, so, like, let's just say they do win. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of want to be with my kids. I kind of, you know, like I want them to experience that. I became a Bills fan because in 1990, mm -hmm. I was at my uncle's house, kind of just like floating in the air. I was 10 years old. No, not 10 years old. I was eight years old, not really knowing what was going on in life. And they're watching the Super Bowl and it's Bills Giants. And I don't really have a dog in the race, but I'm, you know, I'm watching it. And then Scott Norwood misses the field goal. And I remember there's certain moments when you're a kid that you just remember vividly. I remember being in my dad's car in the back seat and just feeling horrible for this team that just lost like that. And I remember mm. saying to myself, that's my team. And so I want my kids to have obviously better experiences than that. But you no, know, no. could you imagine, could you imagine yeah. if they get to see the bills win the Super Bowl? Here's, here's what I would tell you is we're getting into jinxy territory. So I'll, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll dial it back. I'll okay, dial sorry. it back. Sorry, sorry, sorry. But what I will say is this, I think you're correct. If you did make it to the Super Bowl, it's family friends, you know, it's, it's your kids. That's yeah. the right play. But I think this is what I would tell you. If somehow the Baltimore Ravens lose to the Texans and the Bills are hosting somehow a conference championship game, game, I think you got to go. I think, I think you got to go because then you're with all Bills fans, right? Oh. You're not in enemy territory. You're not getting yeah. recognized by someone who's hammering you with something. You're amongst the people. And if you do win that conference championship game as someone who has won them before, because, again, you don't know what it feels like. None of your teams have ever done it. I, like, yeah, oh, sorry, the Knicks did it. 
But yeah, you were a baby. Like what Knicks? The win the championship? No, a, a conference finals. Oh yes, nobody. I saw yeah. the I, I saw the Bills go to four straight Super Bowls. Yeah, that's true. I guess yeah. But you were a child. Like you were a child. Yeah, in listen, four man, I Super cried Bowls. my eyes out when they lost to Washington the following year, and then I Dallas agree. I'm just saying, as an adult, yes, of course, as of an course. adult, when yes, you have these different. things, like when I with the Raptors in 2019, when I didn't think there was any chance we were going to beat the Warriors, and yes, I'm doing we and talk with you right now because sure. this is pure pure fan talk. That was exhilaration being with Toronto Raptors fans downtown thinking that was going to be it and that everything else was gravy being able to soak in that moment and my Seahawks when they won the Super Bowl same thing they went to go play Denver and then the following year was the Patriots that one was different because they had just won but that year against Denver I remember thinking god they made it to a Super Bowl I get to watch a Super Bowl soaking in that content that's almost the best part is the lead up the game itself sucks it's torture the lead up is is the beauty the The lead up of getting yeah two weeks of everyone like gushing about your team and I writing know. little tiny articles about uh, the little that. engine that could's on your team and the stars that were discounted and the defense it's the best so see as you can see the smile on I your face i, I love it because I, I like i legit can't wait to go to bed tonight and just scroll through all the yeah content. that's such a fun thing uh, plus you gotta admit too beating the steelers is awesome it doesn't matter if that steelers team sucked and they had the negative point differential that's one of the teams where you beat the Steelers and it's fun. You beat the Steelers, you beat the Patriots, you beat the Cowboys. That's like the holy trinity of wow. That's the those are the best three teams to beat. Yeah, Niners probably four, Packers maybe five. I felt I felt uh, I felt relatively confident going into this one, and mm-hmm. I have a couple of friends who are really big Steelers fans, and I just text. I'm not one to rub in. I hate when people rub it in to me like. Just I be a very much learned that from you. Yes, I hate you it. Don't. And so I, I, I live in it. No, I live no, in I, trash I, talk. I and it. you don't. I, yeah, I was very surprised the first time. I hate it. I tried I, to bring it to you after a bad loss. Good vibes. No, I'm crazy, man. I remember one kid when I was in high school after mm-hmm. the Pacers beat the Knicks in uh, 96. He was like, how about the Knicks? The next day I punched him right in the stomach. Like, you don't. Talk about my teams. I just, I hate it. Anyway, I sent to my friends, like, much you respect, You might want to man. see somebody about this. <laughs> you might want Trust to me. In. My, yeah. my parents, my wife, they've all yeah. said it. Um, yeah. But th- that team, man, you know, with a third-string quarterback, uh, down 21 nothing, they played hard. I'm really nervous about all the injuries. But uh, nevertheless, I uh, this had to happen. If this happens, can I just say, it had to go through Kansas City. It had to. I agree. This is, they are our, you know, Pistons to our Bulls. Um, And that's probably the best example that I could think of in terms of a team that just systematically beat them, beat them, beat them. And then you can only get over the hump once you beat them. And so 13 seconds, I'm still not over it. Uh, The first loss was a little bit easier to swallow because, you know, we were kind of playing with house's money. But this does really feel like 2021, doesn't it? That Bucks loss compared to the Eagles loss this year and then the run afterwards, it feels very reminiscent. And so, uh, yeah, just three more. I just think today, today was a reminder of just, you guys have the, like the difference maker quarterback right now is like as good as Mahomes is playing. He doesn't have that one guy. There's that one moment today in the game where digs, it's a broken play. It's, it goes out to the right. It's the rollout where he, and by he, I mean, uh, like Josh Allen. Yeah. He rolls out right. It looks like a broken play and he stings one to Diggs. And it's like, they've had an up and down year, all this different stuff. But I don't know if Mahomes has that anymore. Like, I don't know if there's that that's Kelsey anymore. I feel like Allen and has his guy still, they're going to be at home. 
It's going to be cold again. I, I just, I like where the bills are at. That's all I'm saying. I'm not going to jinx it. I'm not going any further with it, but I, I feel like you're right. You're in the right mentality. The juggernaut is ahead of you, uh, but you have the difference maker. You have the quarterback. And I think right now there's, there's three guys and you have one of them. You've got as good a shot as anybody. And we also have James Cook and that's been a big that's difference, a big part. right? We, we didn't yep. have that guy. And I loved Devin Singletary, loved him. And it was sad to see him go, but we, we never had that threat. And Cook has mm-hmm. been great. Like when we just need a few yards here, a few yards there, and then some big plays, he's been fantastic. So uh, I feel like that's the big difference. Those 90s bills, my, my favorite bill of all time is Thurman Thomas. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you just don't win Super Bowls without a run game. And I know people like to talk about running backs and are they worth it? And Yes, you need that threat. You absolutely need that threat. And so I feel like that's been a big difference, uh, especially mm-hmm. since Joe Brady took over. He finally mm-hmm. let James Cook. He let James Cook, damn it. You see yeah. what I did there? Well, yeah, but I also like that, you know, and again, we were texting about this, but that final drive where they scored, it wasn't just all Josh Allen. They were able to lean on the run exactly. game and they, they bled the clock a little bit and they allowed Josh to make some plays, which he did with his legs as well. But yeah, no, it's huge having James Cook. Okay. Before we do UFC stuff, because yes. I, I, I don't, I'm not going to preview the card too much with you. Um, I, I do have more of a, a bigger Canadian question to deal with it, but I do have to ask you quickly too, is, you know, you're a big Knicks guy. Yeah. Raptors guy Co- consummated a big trade, biggest trade since Bargnani. Man, since you, Bargnani. Guys... You, know, you <laughs> Raptors fans love to bring up the Bargnani trade. Yeah, no. It's so annoying. First of all, oh. oh, the Raptors fleeced the Knicks yeah. again. Number one, did. did we all forget about Oakley and Camby? And I was heartbroken when Oakley got traded. But let's not forget, Camby was a win-win. Camby took us to the finals the following yeah. year. You guys gave up Oakley, on Camby. Oakley helped change the culture. Exactly. Yeah. So that was a win-win. So you can't just say. Oh, you fleece, you fleece. Okay, guess what? You beat us in the Bargnani trade. We're not the ones who wasted a number one pick on Bargnani. All right? So that's egg on your yeah. face. And number two, uh, you should be thanking us because if not for James Dolan, you do trade Kyle Lowry to us and you don't make it to the finals and you don't win the finals in 2019. Yeah. So that was a win-win as well. So we're that was, That's a win-win. That was a win for the Knicks. That was a really big win for the Knicks. We're they tied, did so right? well not acquiring Lowry, who, the Villanova guard who, yeah, you guys aren't really enjoying that right now, having the undersized, uh, tough Villanova guard. Okay, but this is, uh, this is all I want to ask you about the trade so far because okay. I, we texted about it when it happened and you said you're going to love quickly and everybody in Toronto already loves the guy to death. RJ's playing great at home, although it was kind of funny because Carmelo – tried to yeah. trash him in the media and said some nights he gets four points. And that night RJ did get four points. It was his first bad game. I was like, God, that just one sucks. But has like the OG stats now are eye popping for the Knicks. They've been great since acquiring him. He's like a plus a million with the New York Knicks since he's joined them. Has he already replaced quickly in your heart? Cause let's be honest. You loved quickly more than you loved RJ, even though he was Canadian. Yeah. Cause there was something about the, there, there is, some... there's something about quickly. Yes, there's something about him, but there's also something about the yeah. fact that I felt like he never quite got the shot to, mm. you know, show us who he is. And that's in large part because Jalen Brunson came in and Jalen Brunson's the freaking man. And I hope he makes the all-star team and it's great to see him finally get that respect. Uh, so there was something about like untapped potential. I kind of felt like we had seen mm. who RJ was, which is great. Nice piece. Not the number two guy, but, you know, maybe a three or four. So here's the thing. When the trade happened, I was bummed about IQ. But I also knew that they weren't going to pay him. So you kind of have to get something for him. And uh, packaging him with RJ to get OG, who I suspect they know will resign with them. They're mm-hmm. not going to make that kind of trade if they don't have that kind of verbal commitment. 
the big differences and the thing that people didn't really take into account is Deuce McBride has now been allowed to just go off and he's been a revelation and he's been the guy who didn't get to play as a result of IQ. And so mm -hmm. it's almost like we gained Miles McBride, which has been great. Um, and, and he's really stepped up. So yes, I like this team. Tough loss to Orlando on Monday afternoon. But overall, I mean, even the, the one loss on the road to Dallas, they were down like 21 at one point and came all the way back and almost won the game. They had an opportunity to win the game with 30 seconds left. So it just feels like a different team. OG is great. He's such a great personality. He's the type of guy that New York will just love. Like they love him already. They're chanting his name and everything like that. And uh, yeah, I think it's worked out for both. I, I hope it doesn't it works sound out like you're guys. fully there though. Like it doesn't feel like he's filled the IQ void. Mm, that's yeah, what I'm saying. Like he, I, I think McBride is signed. To be honest, maybe maybe it comes after the resigning. Maybe it comes with big playoff moments. I will tell you this: this is the the love the thing that rules about OG and Anobi. The Raptors after Kawhi, they were pretty unclutch come playoff time. They had some really tough playoff performances, right? Like Siakam had. I think in large part, the reason why, despite him being such a great Raptor, he's not beloved here is because he's had some really tough moments in clutch. OG is one of those guys where it's just, you, you get what you get and he's ice water hit the huge shot in the bubble against the Celtics. I, I feel like you guys make the playoffs and there will be one game where you're at MSG, a place where the moment can get too big for guys and he'll get an opportunity to knock down a big corner three and he'll just, he'll nail it. And that's, that's he when you'll really love him. That's You've invested a lot in IQ. I get it. I think there's a lot of Raptors fans that probably feel the same way. The difference is like quickly has the ball the whole time and he's undersized and he's just got kind of a cool herky jerky game. And so he's an easier guy to love. Like he came to Toronto and he did the thing. He buried you guys immediately. He was like, there's no place I want to be more than Toronto. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I love Toronto. It's the best city. I don't know. I'm paraphrasing, but yeah, basically that was it. I believe but RJ I when he says it. And, and it's actually yeah. really great to see him so happy. The thing yeah. is also about Knicks fans. Um, and I can speak as one. We've done such a poor job of drafting when we actually kind mm -hmm. of hit on two guys. That's why we love Mitchell Robinson too. Like we yeah. adore Mitchell Robinson. All it, five games a year he plays. Yeah, it sucks. I mean, but shout out to Isaiah Hartenstein. He's been fantastic as well. Yeah. Um, in his absence, it's just like we want to see our own. Like they loved RJ because he was our guy. You know, we didn't get Zion, we didn't get Joe, we got RJ, and he was our guy, RJ Barrett. Like they loved him for that reason, and so I think they wanted to see it through, but. It has worked well, and uh, I love those trades. It's like the uh, the Kings Pacers trade of a couple of years ago. Feels mm -hmm. like it, it's rare that it works out perfectly for both teams, but I feel like that one did, and this one is. Yeah, I hope so too. Um, my my last thing on it is he will resign. Um, I had Jake Fisher on my show last week. He I don't know if he talked about this on my show or if this was one, in one of his articles, but he wrote or said that OG had made it kind of clear privately that New York was where he actually wanted to be. Like this was this was the Raptors guiding him to a place that he was oh. hoping to land in the first place. So this isn't one where it's going to get weird and oh, actually OG ends up wanting to pair up with someone else. No, no, he wa he wanted to be a Nick, and he got his wish in being a Nick. Okay, you have Nick's baby. Let's go. I finally worked for you guys. Um, so I I've been thinking about these matchups and about the card, and you know UFC is here now on Sportsnet, and so there's like a way there's a way bigger focal point, right? Heading into fun. these UFC events now, right? It's Love fun. It. It's it's good for me, especially a guy who loves the UFC. Yeah, but I I didn't want to. I'm gonna focus this more on a big picture thing that I was thinking about, and it's it's kind of a a half baked idea. I haven't fully flushed this one out, but I was thinking about how when the when Toronto had the UFC with Jake Shields and GSP. What what number was that? Do you know off the, 129. Who cares? 129. Okay. Yep. 
it felt like Canada was going to be the second home of the UFC, right? Mm -hmm. It was UFC has a second headquarters up here. They've got a UFC Canada up here. This is going to be the next spot. Rory McDonald was on the rise. It felt like Canada was going to have like a massive feeder system. There was a UFC um, ultimate fighter, which I'm a historian of. You do not uh, partake, but there was a USA versus what? Canada. What do you mean partake? Yeah, Olivia yeah, Aubert Mercier. I know all yeah. about those days. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know you know about it. Uh, what was his name? Nordique. The what was the Chad other... Laprise was on there. Uh, what was the other French Canadian guy? Yeah, Nordique. Oh, Nordine Taleb. Nordine, Nordine, Nordine Taleb. Taleb. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that was a really fun season, but it just it was it seemed very clear that the Canadians and UFC had this very special relationship. And again, maybe this is just something like when Connor came up. They it felt like, oh man, Ireland is on the rise. Now they're always looking for the next Irish fighter. But yeah, what do you think about Canada's relationship with the UFC today? Like as they're coming to Toronto and they're loading up a card that has, you know, some interesting fights and some interesting Canadians on it, but not just like a ton of star power, not someone that we'll say is the next GSP, I don't think is on this card that's going to represent Canada. Like Mike Malott is, I think, the biggest name that we're going to have on this card who's mm -hmm. going to be pushed forward, the welterweight. But yeah, where are you just at with Canada and the UFC and, and the relationship between those two entities? Well, first of all, I agree with what you said about yesteryear. Don't forget, they even had the former freaking commissioner of the CFL is the head of UFC Canada, Tom Wright. Yeah, like that's, that's how, what I mean. Yeah, the, the, that's how big it was. And those cards in Montreal, like 129 was great at the uh, Rogers Center, but those cards in Montreal, 183, 124, 158, like those were electric. The crowds those were Those were bigger, insane. but I feel like the Jake Shields one was when that stuff was happening, like the right appointment. Sure, but it was 55,000. Yeah. Of course, yeah. you can't compare. But I'm just saying like th they could do no wrong in Canada and Vancouver and whatnot. Uh, the big difference, of course, is there's several things that have changed. Number one, there is no GSP. And as you know, if you don't have that face, who is, you know, a champion, pound for pound, great, one of the faces of the sport, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to, to fly that flag. So, you know, Ireland experienced it with Connor. And then when Connor mm -hmm. stopped being active, they lost some of it. UK is experiencing it now with Leon Edwards and Tom Aspinall. Uh, they mm -hmm. didn't really have it before Michael Bisping became champion. Brazil had it with Anderson Silva and Jose Aldo. Now they're kind of in a state of transition. So when you have – look at Australia and New Zealand. What were they a couple of years ago? And now you've got Volk mm -hmm. and Izzy and all these guys. So we don't have that guy. And because we don't have that guy, there isn't that buzz and excitement. Number two, uh, there's just not enough regional promotions in Canada. There was once a time where there was the TKOs of the world. They were in Quebec. They developed the likes of GSP and Surreal Gan and others. There was the Maximum Fighting Championships in Alberta. There was the SCORE Fighting Series in Ontario. And there were others throughout the country. We don't really have that. There's Unified MMA. And there's others that are trying to do their part. But it's just not what it once was. So the talent, I think, is not being um, you know, developed like they were a few years ago. And honestly, and not to toot your horn and, and your company's horn, I really do think leaving Sportsnet was a big loss to the UFC. Uh, with all due respect to the network that they went to, they never really pushed them. I know this based on what they were doing, what they were um, showing, how they were covering it, the resources they put in. And I was there when Sportsnet was there. You, you mentioned 129. And I, I remember them bringing out the big guns and, and, and the cameras and the pre-shows and the post-shows and the, 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 the magazine shows that they used to do. TSN mm -hmm. never really did that. And so I think it's going to be huge for the country and for the sport in the country to have that kind of coverage once again. Um, you know, I, I live it here with ESPN. 
I see the difference between Fox and ESPN. When UFC was on Fox, it was just kind of here. All of a sudden, ESPN starts putting it on the website, starts putting it on the ticker, yeah, starts everywhere. putting it on ABC. It's just a really big deal. It just feels bigger. So all those things, I think, are factors. But if you had to pick one, there was once a time, I remember at, at a UFC press conference, it was before, I believe, the Diaz-GSP fight. And Dana White said that GSP was more popular and famous than Wayne Gretzky. And I remember the next day, Every Canadian outlet was debating this. Oh, how could he say mm -hmm. this? How could he say this? It was brilliant promotion on Dana's part. You Very don't nice. have that guy that you can say with a straight face is bigger than, you know, name a uh, Connor McDavid, right? So it's uh, it's just peaks and valleys. And I would say right now we're in a valley, but I I kind of feel like we're starting to get out of the valley. Like we're right here. We're like we're starting. It's not quite the beginning of the valley, which is depressing. Mm -hmm. A couple of years ago, we're starting to get out of the valley. So hopefully, in a couple of years, the Mike Malots of the world are really flying that flag. Yeah. Okay. That's that, that's the second part of this is, and you kind of answered it with the lack of regional promotions because that feels like development. That's cause oh, like huge. you think about like you think about Brazil, right? You go, well, there's a fight culture there that go like, you're never not going to be producing tons of fighters out of Brazil. And even the same thing when you're saying the UK, like, yes, they have more champions now, but boxing goes back in the UK. There's a, a real fight culture that has been there for a long time. And I thought that one of the things with GSP that's kind of unique to Canada is he hasn't left a massive ripple effect, like other superstars in the sports that have come here. Like, there's the documentary, right? Like the Carter effect. Yeah. There's baseball. Canada has grown so much. You look at all these other sports and they've grown. They've flourished on the international scene. Canadians. We've done so much better in a lot of the major, even NFL football. Like there's more Canadians in the NFL than there ever used to be. And yet with the UFC, there's fighters. They're there. But yeah, there, there hasn't been the next great one. There hasn't been someone that has even been in the Rory ilk that we've gotten like extremely excited about. And I still think Rory's a little underrated and underappreciated when it comes to history here. But um, and if that fight ugh, just goes, if he doesn't get his nose shattered, I wonder. You know, uh, all the time it's my biggest like, what if is what happens with Rory if that if that fight goes his way. But yeah, I just I, I wonder why it just hasn't been that way in this sport. Why the GSP effect did not result in having a, just a, a wave after wave of fighter in this country. I will say, give it some time. Uh, mm -hmm. I, too, believe in the Carter effect, but let's not forget, 1999 was almost 30 years ago now. You're just starting mm -hmm. to see the effect really come into play now. And you can talk about the Raptors and whatnot, but I'm talking about, like, Team Canada. Like, all these dudes yep. that are going to be playing in Paris, they are a byproduct of Vince Carter. And, you know, it's 2024, so what was that, 25 years ago? GSP's last fight was in 2017. Um, he really took his break in 2013. I think we need to give it a little bit more time to play out. Mm -hmm. But I believe in all that stuff. Like, I remember there was once a time when, uh, and I'm no hockey expert, but Patrick Well was obviously a big deal in Quebec. And everyone said that he had a certain way that he would, like, move his pads, the butterfly save. Yeah. And, and then they said there was a ton of Quebec-born goalies that would emulate him. I think Jean-Sébastien Giguère and all these guys would emulate the way in which he, he saved um, you know, shots and when he went down. And so I love that sort of thing, like the way, you know, the sport evolves and the trickle down effect and the, the byproduct of people's success. But I think we need to give it a little bit more time. And I do think people are going to start coming up. I would say on this card, there's a lot of good fighters. I don't know if there's that guy other than Malat. Malat is that guy. He, he so Malat does excite you. Yeah, he, yeah, he definitely looks the part. I met him and he's, he's like made of just granite. He's, he, but he's like, 
first of all, like his bros in the NHL, you could just yeah. see he's he's just polished. You know, like he yeah. feels like a big time star. He's not rough Athlete. around the edges. He takes it seriously. He says all the right things. He's respectful to the past. He says everything that needs to be said about the GSPs of the world, about flying the flag, about being Canadian. Like you could tell he is very self-aware and he looks around right now and says, I'm kind of the guy right now. Like if mm-hmm. it, it's up to me, if there is going to be a next GSP here, it's me. By the way, I want to give a shout out to Olivier Aubin-Mercier while we're talking about like the, the peaks and valleys. He did win back just won a million dollars, million dollar contracts. And yeah. then retired as double champ for the PFL. And I understand it's not the UFC. Who cares? It's still awesome. Every did that. single fighter who has done that tournament has said it's yeah. the hardest thing they've ever done. Having to fight that many times in a calendar year, you know, what is it? Like five times in the calendar year. And it's really April to November. So it's seven times and making weight. And he did it back to back and won a million dollars twice. So that's a guy from Quebec who obviously came up with GSP at TriStar, who did good things. I, d- I know it doesn't say, get That's the problem with him, though, right, is that he came up under GSP, and GSP really hyped him. And they like I remember when he was coming up, it was like, even when that, it was that UFC Canada, that Ultimate Fighter, when he was on it, it was like, this is the young guy. There's a lot of old guard in here, but this is the next one. And then he just never made it pop in the UFC. Yeah. And so it's just, it's, it's hard. It, it's hard to give a guy his flowers fully in a tournament like that when... He had the promise, he had the attention, and then just it never came to fruition in the UFC. But he did win back-to-back million dollars. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, and guess what? I bet you he wouldn't have it any other way right now. And by the way, that, those, million, that two million is going to go a long way in Quebec. The two million is more than maybe everyone on the card, what they're making yeah. combined. I'm being facetious, yeah. probably not, but pretty darn close as far as the undercard is concerned. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Malad is the guy for you. You think he beats yeah. Magny? Yeah, I do. Um, Magny's a great litmus test gonna, type of fight. He's a gamer, man. He's a gamer, Magny. He's great. He's fantastic. But um, I do think he's sort of on the back nine, and Malad is just on fire these days and has looked mm-hmm. very impressive. Toughest fight of his career. He's a veteran. He's not going to make it super you know, flashy, Magny I'm talking about. But you mm-hmm. beat Neil Magny, and, and you finish him the way in which you know Malad has been finishing some of these guys. Uh, very, very impressive. But it's a, it's a like this is a massive jump in competition compared to it who is. he's fought in the past. So don't be surprised if it's just like a hard-fought um, decision type of win and even that type of win over the likes of Neil Magny. I mean, Ian Gary just went the distance with him and, uh, you know, Magny took that fight on like 10 days' notice. So very, very impressive. And the main event. Yes. Before you go. Yes. Who wins? Oh, I don't do predictions. Are you kidding me? You're doing uh, it with me. This is what makes this show special. Because I've been very torn on this. Well, can I ask you, how do you yeah. feel as a Torontonian? Are you going, by the way? No, I can't because I, I'm going to be working Leafs that night. It's too hard for me to get down. Anyway, how do you feel as a yeah. Torontonian about this main event? You know, Mr. America, Sean mm-hmm. Strickland, which just seems insane that like after yep. his explosion that you would put him in Canada of all places mm-hmm. after like, he's just so America, you know what I mean? America against a South African. Is this weird to mm-hmm. you or is this just the beauty of the UFC that these two guys can sell out? I think, are they going to sell out? I don't know, but I, draw I just think well. that this fight is, it's such an interesting fight because yeah, I, I keep, well, I just, this is one that I really love because I keep going back and forth on, I always feel like the UFC has such a rooting interest in who they want to see win some of these fights, right? And in this sure. one, I have no idea. <laughs> I just mm-hmm. genuinely have no clue. Like, do they do they like Strickland? Do they like 
him saying all the stuff that he says constantly? Do they like having him going after Ian Gary's family and having he just probably not, but you can't deny he has I mean he's to me he was like the breakthrough fighter of twenty twenty three. Yeah, he won Who your award, thought? right? Yeah, you, yeah. On your award show. So I I I think he is now becoming a real superstar in the UFC. And if he wins his first title defense in Toronto, that's going to be like a meaningful Canadian UFC sports moment to me. So that's why I'm very excited. It's just weird. Who's no. going to be cheered the most? Uh, I, I think Strickland will be cheered weirdly. So weird, right? I just think he's known more and that yeah. the fan base is going to be behind. And guess, I think he resonates with a lot of UFC fans. <laughs> like, I think he does. But yeah. Canadians, he's like everything Canadians yeah. aren't. And he's ripped. And he's ripped Canada. He's yes, right Mr. away when Guns, he was first yes. announced for this fight. I think his tweet was, "Canada, are you serious?" Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I actually, uh, a good friend of mine who works on the show yeah. has a theory that Sean Strickland doesn't like being champion, doesn't want to be champion. He's going to do everything in his power to sabotage this reign and is going to crumble under the pressure. Hmm, that's interesting. That's an interesting theory. I I think that he wins this fight. Okay. I just think he's able to set the pace and that that's going to be it's going to be his fight that he's been here and that he'll he'll he just seems so primed for this type he's a championship fighter like if you think about like the way he fights he's a championship fighter he's a five-round guy so i just like him in this i don't know if if the sean strickland who fought izzy back in september shows up i think he has a good chance Strickus is able to he's just a funky fighter he's unorthodox he's a little bit wacky out there but man he could take a punch and he just keeps on coming and to do what he did to robert whitaker to Mm -hmm. to to stop robert whitaker at 185 was supremely impressive like you can't say anything more about him at this point uh spoke to him on monday he is very very confident i think he has dreamed about this like this guy only cares about being champion he has put everything into this and so i i wonder i i really do wonder uh i think he's a little bit in sean's head uh, I think he got under his skin with those comments. So if Sean tries to play, you know, if he tries to get too wild out there and emotional and, you know, all the stuff that he brought up and, and make him pay, this could, this is a real thing. Uh, this mental warfare really comes into play if if done effectively. So I'm curious about it. I don't mind it. And what I love also about it is, man, the 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 options after this fight. Do you go with Izzy against either guy? Do you go with Hamzad? Like the UFC is in a pretty good spot at 185, so you, that's you always go good. With, you go with Izzy, and you try. You put them on. You get. You, you have to do it. And I, the only question is like, who is Izzy fighting? Because they are they fully up on 300 yet? I feel like they still have fights to announce, right? Yeah. Hell no. I, they, they I, I think they have to put out. Izzy there. They don't have yeah, a main I event. Think, yeah. Well, I don't, he's not I don't available know. based on what the 300. Uh, yeah, I was told because no. of the just thing. This timing doesn't work out. No, what okay. thing? No, not not because of legal Drinking. stuff. No, no, yeah, no, no, legal no. stuff. It's, I know that got dismissed. But... Yeah, yeah, no, it's just uh, the the scheduling doesn't work out. I don't know what they're mm-hmm. gonna do with three hundred. It's I like how everybody's schedule doesn't work for three hundred. Is Connor's schedule? Doesn't work. Oh, Connor's the one that is dying to. Connor would sign up tomorrow to be on. 300. I know they don't want him on three hundred, which is yeah, weird to me. Weird, the weirdest, weirdest thing. The Anyways, weird. It's I, like I, it's like it's like a kid who goes trick or treating and they get like this incredible like full size yeah. candy bar and they just refuse to touch it until july and then they realize it, it got rotten like what are you doing you have the candy bar yeah. eat the damn candy bar enjoy it well, now. especially with you him man because it's like it's it's been so erratic right yes. 
Like, why would you leave more time for things to go wrong? I would, if Connor's ready to fight, I'm like, can you fight? When can you fight? You're getting, yes. you're getting in the arena immediately. You're going to fight right now. Like exactly. you're fighting this week. We're exactly. actually starting our first UFC Thursday night card, making sure that Conor McGregor is fighting because he's available on Thursday. That's well, the, way the, big quite, the big thing is he has two fights left on his deal. Yeah. And so I don't think they're in an actual rush to, you know, they got Saudi Arabia out there and he's tight with those mm-hmm. guys. They would offer him hundreds of millions of dollars. They would offer yeah. him stupid money. So I think that they're okay with the slow pace. Mm. All right. That makes a little bit more sense. All right. Ariel Hawani, you're the best. Congrats on your bills. I think that, you know, hopefully the Knicks got fleeced again. Uh, uh, what do you think? Don't bills punch Chiefs. me in the stomach. Bills Chiefs. I, I, I like the Bills. The only thing that scares me is that all your linebackers got hurt. Now uh, it's like Patrick Mahomes going to try to pick you apart in the middle of the field like Andy Reid. I wish we had Matt Milano two days, but I miss Matt Milano. Uh, but, and, it's and just Texans, something to the Bills this year. Any chance the Texans win? There's a chance. But I don't think it's a good one. <laughs> I think the Ravens. Baltimore on the road? Yeah. I think Baltimore is susceptible. Uh, Baltimore, you know what the Baltimore key is going to be? James Cook. If you guys get in that game, it's got to be a James Cook. He runs the ball down their throat early and sets up the pass. That's the Baltimore thing is if you run on them early, you, you can catch you can catch them slipping a bit. If you just got to throw on them and let the pass rushers rip all day, then you're in real trouble. But I, I don't know. There's a path, man. There's a path. I don't believe that there's anybody that's a real juggernaut this year. Even the Niners, who are the scariest nah, team. Like the Purdy thing, they fall down in a game. I don't think they're coming back. I don't the trust them too. So. I'm more worried about the Ravens than the Niners. You should be. I think the Ravens, yeah. The Ravens, to me, present the toughest challenge. But psychologically, that's going to be the big one for the Bills is can you can you get over, as Nick Wright says, the Mahomes mountain? Oh, so, I don't know. Oh, God. You just quoted yeah. Nick Wright. I'm talking about the Bills. <laughs> really? Is that hair real? He's, What's going on with that hair? What's happening? He lo- is, I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> Talented guy. Uh, so are you. Uh, thanks for making time, buddy. I always appreciate it. My pleasure. It. All right. Thanks to Ariel Hawani. That was fun. Glad that we were able to tape that. Got that right fresh off the presses after the, the Bills win. And yeah, he's defensive about the, the Knicks-Raptors fleecings because he knows the truth. He knows. He, he lives in fear. He lives in fear that Messiah got another one over on the Knicks. Every, how could he not? How could he not? Thanks to Christopher Stieg. That was awesome today. Um, And if you like this podcast, please do me a favor. Subscribe and review. Leave five stars on Spotify or on iTunes. Share it when you see it on Twitter or Instagram. Tell a friend. Tell a family member. Uh, I appreciate it as always. Anyways, we will see you tomorrow for an episode with Good Hour. Maybe a trade with Siakam. And yeah, plenty. Got Chell Sonnen this week. Got Dracus Duplassis this week. So plenty more of UFC stuff too. See you then.